Hey, thanks for tuning into my podcast. This is Big Head on the Block, hosted by me, Tim Henderson, aka Big Head. Hey, welcome back to Big Head on the Block. Look, there's a lot going on in the world today, so I'm going straight to the practical jokes. Practical jokes between police officers are unique, and a lot of people may not understand the things that we do to torment each other. But it builds camaraderie. It builds trust. It's an interaction that you can't replicate out in the civilian world. That being said, I'm going to move right into my first practical joke. We're going to refer to this as Operation Silent Dispatch. Victim, retired sergeant, Mike Thomas, who at the time of this practical joke was a senior corporal with the Baton Rouge City Police Department. So Operation Silent Dispatch. Suspects, the usual suspects. This operation used a lot of resources that a veteran officer would have. Trickery, mind control, deception, and also timing because you had to have specific targeted timing to make sure that you had a successful outcome to this operation. So let me give you a foundation now on how the dispatch protocol works. I'm not going to get into specifics and I'm just going to kind of give you an overview. So if I go to work, I log on under my name and they have a number associated with me. So the dispatcher and I can correspond. And the easiest way to say is just via email, even though it's not an email system. So the dispatcher can send me calls or I can pull calls from the screen. And it's basically called a silent dispatch, although she will uh, indicate from time to time. I show you and route to this call that way. It's, it's really important on a serious note that every officer hears what you're doing because at some point in time, if you call for help, that may be the only person that knows where you're at. But um, that's a serious part of this, but we're getting back to the practical joke part. So you can be dispatch calls, you can pull calls, but you can also see what calls are pending, pending calls for service. And that's a real important component of this practical joke, and here's why. You can see what calls are holding. You can see what other people are doing and what calls their own. So in order for this to be effective, you have to have somebody who doesn't have a computer or have access to the computer because a lot of times our computers go down and they have to send them off and it may be two, three months before we get them back. So our victim, Mike Thomas, is without a computer. I devised a plan and a strategy to make sure that Chris and I wasn't overworked and that Mike got the experience by handling the calls that we didn't want, which would actually make him a better officer, right? So on a particular day in question, we were all working evening shift and we were sitting in a parking lot talking to each other side by side by side. Mike was in the middle car, so Chris and I couldn't correspond except by text or, you know, we would computer to computer because we knew he didn't have a computer. We could talk like that, but you didn't want to leave any kind of footprint in case anybody went back and looked at it and, and they bust you like that. So here's here's what happened. They had a wreck that came in, and everybody knows that I don't like wrecks, and Chris ain't going to volunteer for a wreck either. Mike was working a different zone. He was in zone D. Chris and I was in zone C. So our area of responsibility is any calls for service that come into zone C. Mike's was any calls that came into zone, zone D. So whenever we seen the call pop up, I emailed Chris, caught a car, and I said, hey, man, I think Mike probably needs some more experience writing wrecks. So watch this. Here's what I had to do. Now, it should be noted that precision, timing, and accuracy was very important 
to make sure that this plan and that this operation succeeded. So this is what I had to do. Specifically, I had to log off under my name, get out of my credentials, log in under his name and his credentials. Then, knowing that Mike was not available for calls, this is where the timing had to be perfect. I pulled up the screen that had him logged into a call that he was currently on because he was in the parking lot writing his report. Simultaneously, I cleared him from that, gave a disposition of the call. Then I quickly hit the pending call button, pulled up those calls. Then I had to quickly email the dispatcher. And this is what I emailed her. I said, if you ask me nicely, I will take that wreck that you're holding. Now, she thinks that she's talking to Mike and Mike's just sitting in his core mind in his own business. He doesn't know that I cleared him from that call, which made him available. He doesn't know that I corresponded with the dispatcher. So the next dispatch that comes on is headquarters to Mike Thomas. Now, she said his call number, but we're just going to use his name. Headquarters of Mike Thomas. He re- replies by saying, go ahead. She said in a very nice, sweet voice. Now, the dispatcher was Susan, and she had a pleasant voice anyway. But on this particular day, she really asked him nicely, could you please take this wreck that's holding? And he very sternly said, 10-4 headquarters. And, you know, you can hear when people respond to these calls, you can hear what they're feeling and their emotions, right? So by him saying it like that, she probably was confused because as far as she knows, he just volunteered to take it as long as she asked him nicely, which she did. Now, Mike, like I said, is sitting in between Chris and I. All our windows are down and all I can hear is Mike hollering. He's MF and this, MF and that. The verbal hostility is He's enraged, right? He's like, I don't know why they keep sending me these effing calls, blah, blah, blah. Now, me and Chris, we sympathetic to his, to his, you know, the issues that he's experienced at this time. So we're like, yeah, man, that's kind of messed up as she's sending you to those calls. Now, the calls are in me and Chris's own, but that's really not the important thing here. The important thing here is that Operation Silent Dispatch is in full effect. Now, we, we sit here, and he gripes for about two two more minutes, right? I mean, he just on and on. And and we're trying to give him some grief counseling, if you will. We're like, yeah, man, it's messed up. You know, like, you know, I, I don't know why she would do that to you. Maybe she don't like you. I don't know, man. Maybe uh, it seems like she gives you a lot of calls that aren't even in his own. You know, and, and me and Chris, we heckling him, but he don't know it. We're like, yeah, you know, the dispatcher seem to be on you a lot uh, lately. And he just can't figure it out, right? You know, because... He's, he, I mean, Mike was never lazy. He, t- he handled his calls, but uh, now he's getting to handle our calls, right? So he leaves. He goes on about his business and handles the wreck. Now, prior to him driving off, you know, being the nice guys Chris and I are, we said, look, Mike, if you need any help, let us know. It was a code two wreck, and sometimes you may need traffic assistance or, you know, if you have a couple of broke down cars, you may need some help writing record reports. But anyway, we sent him on his way, and uh, we pulled side by side, and we laughed about it. Because this was an ongoing event. This was not the first time this happened. This is just one of the best times that it happened. So later that evening, you know, we we met Mike and we went Nate and, uh, you know, we're like, man, uh, he figured out that the call was in our zone. He's like, I don't know why they gave me that call in y'all's zone. Now, me and Chris, we couldn't figure it out either, you know. So we just played along with it and said, you know, it's probably just mad at you about something, man. I said, did you do anything to the dispatchers? He's like, no, I don't even talk to him, you know, because sometimes you'll call him on the phone and chit chat with him. But he really had no idea why he got that call. Now, like I said, this went on for about three months and this is how it concluded. 
I did a silent dispatch. I followed the same protocol that had been successful probably 20 times, maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. But one particular dispatcher got smart. After he pulled the call, he cleared himself from the call, just like he did before. He pulled the other call, and the dispatcher realizes that it was in an area that he usually wouldn't respond to because he had a specific zone, right? She told him to go to the alternate channel, talk, and she said, did you just pull that call? And he said sternly, negative headquarters, I don't even have a computer. I haven't had a computer for three months. And guess what? The gig was up. The only thing I can think is that these dispatchers had been paying attention over the last few months and finally somebody decided to uh, piece it together that Mike was the victim of Operation Silent Dispatch. Now, I spoke with Mike before doing a podcast and he was okay with us using his name um, or me using his name under one condition that the retaliatory strike that he took against me would be in a podcast also. So I'll tell you this, the retaliation came not too long thereafter. And my good friend, my best friend, Chris Rogers was a suspect in this matter. Also, he was in on it. He had to be in on it because they needed somebody close to me that could, uh, that could get the true answers and the true feelings. So this is what happened. I'm standing by the mailbox after roll call and we're chatting. And I don't know why, because normally we chat outside. Everybody was kind of uh, around the mailbox area. I wasn't paying attention to it because I don't check my mailbox every day because it's really not much that important that's going to come to you, right? I guess it was about four or five of us. So one of the officers said, and this should have tipped me off. He said, hey, man, what's that letter in your mailbox? And I looked back. I said, I don't know. And I didn't pay no attention to it because I really wasn't going to get it. And they said, man, it says the chief's office. And I'm like, what? So, of course, if it's coming from the chief's office, then I'm going to look at it. That should have been the, the red flags right there. That's two red flags. We stand in the area we don't usually socialize in. And then they specifically tell me that there's a letter in my mailbox and then that it was from the chief when I didn't initially pick it up. Right. So I picked the letter up. And they standing around because everybody's probably wondering what it is. Um, but yeah, they already know what it is, right? So I read the letter. And when I read it, I see that I have been transferred to another precinct that I don't want to work at. And let me tell you, when I read this letter, my heart dropped. I was as upset internally as you could be. I was devastated. I didn't say anything and of course, you know, they ain't on the joke. So they're like, man, what's the letter say? I looked at them and I didn't say anything, man. I just turned and walked away. Well, here's where they plotted good because they knew Chris would walk out with me because he would be sympathetic to me. And he's like, what's in the letter, man? And I said, bro, and, and I wasn't nice. I was like, these motherfuckers are actually sending me back to third district. And I don't want to be at third district. And I'm, I'm, I can't believe. So I'm, I'm like fuming mad and I'm cursing, I'm cursing the administration out. I'm cursing everybody out. Now, Chris understands that I'm volatile at times. And I use the old saying nonviolent by nature, but easily provoked. Well, I had been provoked and I was fuming and he said, well, man, maybe, uh, maybe I should look into it, you know, call and see, see what the situation is and why it's like that. Now, Chris was a good shoulder to lean on. And I'm leaning on him at this moment, 
But I'm, I'm, he said, you know, why didn't you talk about it in there? I said, man, I, I, I couldn't talk, man. I, just, I said, I was devastated, man. It crushed me. And I'm not easily crushed, but this crushed me, right? And the main reason is, is I absolutely loved working that second district. I hated third district. I was transferred against my will to third district. After about nine or 10 months, I volunteered to go to first district on Evangelist Street, which was one of the most active and violent zones to get away from third district. And um, a year and a half later, I was able to make it back to second district. So this is why this letter of transfer, and it was as valid as could be, had the chief signature on it and everything. This is why it affected me so much on this particular day. So he's playing it up. He's being sympathetic, being a shoulder to lean on. And uh, all the time, this joke was in on the, on, the, on the scam, right? So I just drive away. I tell him, look, I'll see you in a little bit, man. I just need to be by myself. Why are these people doing this to me? So I called the lady who handled all the transfers and stuff for the Uniform Patrol Division, Miss Shirley. And I said, Miss Shirley, I said, look, I already worked at 3rd District. I don't want to go back. Could you please tell the captain I need to see, I need to have a conference with him or something. And she says, what are you talking about, Tim? I said, I just got my letter of transfer and they're sending me back to 3rd District and I don't want to be at 3rd District. And she said, well, I don't remember typing up a letter for you. And I said, well, just check with the captain and let me know. So I was nice on the phone to her, but I did tell him, you know, tell him I don't want to go back to third district no matter what. So uh, I'm, I'm not interested in that. And I was fixing to call the union and everything. But I, I gave her a few minutes because she said she would call me back. She called me back within an hour because she did a lot of searching. Uh, he wasn't at his office at the time, so she needed to make sure that he didn't send a letter without her knowing. So she called me back and she said, Tim, I said, yep. She said, I got good news for you. And I said, what's the good news? She said, I think somebody played a practical joke on you. I said, what? She said, yeah, I didn't do a letter of transfer. And I talked to, we called the captain, Big John at the time. And uh, she said, I talked to John and he didn't write the letter. He doesn't know what I, he didn't know what you were talking about. So I almost got myself in trouble calling him, right? But the joke was over. Miss Shirley indicated to me that I was not getting transferred against my will, and I was happy. Now, it's time to retaliate against Chris because Chris, my best friend, was in on it, and he allowed me to be victimized. Now, I'm going to give you a long story about how I got Chris back. But look, I was so happy at the time that I didn't even try to beat nobody up. I didn't try to curse him out. I didn't do anything. I just called Chris and said, yeah, bro, y'all got me. I said, but guess what? I'm still where I want to be. Now, when I do the story on Chris, because I did retaliate against him, and uh, it, it was something that's going to take about 20 minutes to describe because it was the, it was an integral um, plan. It was perfectly executed, and it included him thinking that he was going to lose one portion of his career that he really enjoyed as a flight officer. So to all you civilians out there, understand this. Cops, just like soldiers, Marines, you know, the military, um, we play jokes on each other. And, and we're out front guys. We're alphas. You know, we're the kind of people that we do play a lot of jokes on each other. And, and some of them are really odd jokes that people think are mean or whatever. But we don't, you know, we just we take our licks, we move on, and then we uh, strike back. That's what we do. It's all in a day's work. Practical jokes. It's what keeps us going and amused in a violent world and a culture 
that we see and have to do things that most people don't. And that's why most people don't understand the kind of practical jokes we play on each other. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Big Head on the Block. I'm Tim Henderson, the host. I look forward to dropping another podcast soon. Please give us any comments, likes, dislikes, or any topics y'all would like to discuss. Thank you.